0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: We've had the rehearsals in the dead of night. We've caught glimpses of marching bands and soldiers on horseback parading through London. And the spectators began camping out on the streets days ago. We are the first persons here. We came on the 27th and course, it's our first coronation. And we're so excited because a lot of people don't, don't see a, a coronation in a lifetime. As it approaches here the the gold coach, We'll be cheering the king and queen. All in preparation for the big day tomorrow. King Charles III will be crowned at Westminster Abbey. The ceremony itself will be rich in tradition and history, with rituals that have been repeated over centuries. My favourite
2: part of the coronation comes when the king is being invested with the two sceptres. The one in his right hand is of kingly power. The one in his left is of kingly mercy. But before he gets given the one of kingly power, very quietly, someone places a glove on his right hand to remind him to be gentle in the use of power.
1: But in other respects, this will be a very modern coronation.
0: The people of the UK are being called to swear allegiance to King Charles and his family during the coronation.
1: So, what can we expect to see tomorrow? What are the most historic parts of the ceremony? And what are the more modern and more personal concerns for the new king?
2: They've kept the royal family waiting, but finally, Harry and Meghan have replied to the palace's invitation. Harry will be coming to the coronation, but Meghan will not.
1: You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, how to crown a king.
2: My name is Valentine Lowe. I write about the royal family for The Times, and the last few weeks have been quite busy. It's been an extraordinary few years covering the royal family, actually. I've done births, I've done deaths, I've done marriages, I've done the lot. But what I haven't done, and what no one else alive in terms of journalists has done, is a coronation, and it's going to be a fascinating moment. As we need to remind ourselves, it'll be the first coronation for 70 years. I here present unto you Queen Elizabeth, your undoubted Queen, wherefore all you who are come this day to do your homage and service, are you willing to do the same? We've all talked about the Queen's coronation in 1953 so many times. This extraordinary event was absolutely massive. It was described um, by the academic Bob Morris as the last imperial hurrah. They shipped in all these troops from overseas to take part in the procession. And of course, that's always going to be the yardstick against which this coronation is measured. And this one just won't be as big. I think it's probably a good thing, both in terms of cost and in terms of our, I guess, our pretensions about what we say about ourselves as a country. But um, we like to put on a good show, and it's one of the things this country's got, isn't it? It's our reputation for putting all this pomp and ceremony on, all this marvelous sort of pageantry. It goes well in terms of reminding the world we're still here and we've got tradition and history, and it then raises questions about whether we're living in the past or not. And I think Buckingham Palace has been trying to walk this very very narrow tightrope, this delicate balancing act. They say that the coronation is meant to reflect the monarch's role today and look towards the future, and to be a ceremony that... It's still rooted in long-standing traditions of pageantry, but they also want to make it modern. It's quite subtle, that, and I think we'll have to wait to see if they pull it off or not.
1: And how are preparations going? Because, you know, a lot of people are sort of accidentally catching rehearsals. If you're out late at night in London at the moment, chances are you will have lots of men on horseback <laughs> marching past you at some point. I mean, has it been quite chaotic?
2: I think there have been one or two bumps along the way, but I don't think anything major. That's the point about rehearsals. We have much higher expectations these days about what a coronation should be. I mean, Queen Victoria's coronation, they scarcely rehearsed it. It, it was a of shambles. Really? The Archbishop put the uh, sovereign's ring on the wrong finger. His absolute, <sighs> she had to kind of pull it off afterwards. That was often the way with previous coronations because they, they didn't have the time or the in- inclination or the need to rehearse in the same way because, of course, yeah, well, it wasn't television. You see, now, with television, they have to get it right. And even the Queens in nineteen fifty-three, which was the first fully televised coronation, there were still one or two little slip-ups there. But it was you know, it was much more thoroughly rehearsed than previous ones.
1: And Val, you know, this is the first coronation in seventy years, and obviously. The mood of the country has changed quite a lot in the meantime, too. I mean, there was an incident earlier this week with somebody trying to get into Buckingham Palace, and we've heard that the Home Office is quite worried about protests. How different is this to, to previous coronations, I suppose?
2: I'm sure that protesters will want their voice heard. The organisation Republic, which has been campaigning for some years for the abolition of the royal family, they've been a lot more vocal and a lot more visible since Charles succeeded to the throne. We read these polls, don't we, that um, interest in and support for the royal family is much less amongst the young. I guess that's always been the case, but I think the royal family is aware of this and they they've got to pay attention to this and it's a challenge that faces them and after all it does make it harder to appeal to the young when you have a monarch who's 74 years old. Compare that with the Queen, who was so young. She was 25 when she succeeded to the throne. She was able to sort of capture the imagination of the country in a completely different way. And there was a poll this week about how the different countries, the different realms within the Commonwealth where Charles was head of state, a lot of them would vote for a republic. And I'm not saying the monarchy is going to crumble before our very eyes in the next few years or months, but I think it's an issue they've got to pay attention to.
1: So there's a lot more for them to think about in planning this coronation. There is that mood in the air, but also, as you said, it's a real tightrope, trying to hold on to some of the history and the traditions of a coronation while trying to modernise it. In terms of doing that, how has it gone? I mean, take us back to the start of planning where you started writing about how it was already ruffling some feathers in terms of people who wouldn't now be invited.
2: The numbers being invited is, is kind of fascinating. We always knew that it wouldn't be like 1953. Westminster Abbey can normally take about 2,000 people. That's this sort of comfortable limit, just over 2,000. For the Queen's coronation, they packed in 8,000 people. It's absolutely extraordinary. They sort of built all this seating and scaffolding, and it must be incredibly precarious. But it's not just a question of numbers. It's also a question of how it looks. I think they, the palace and indeed the government, are quite keen for it not to be a sort of vision of old men in ermine, which to an extent is what we got in 1953. So it's fewer people this time. And a different congregation. It's more representative. It's not just the establishment getting in there as of right, or what they see as their right. It's more a reflection, they hope, of modern Britain. So I think only about sort of 80 MPs and peers will get in as opposed to every single hereditary peer as happened last time. There are things like people from charities. There are 450 recipients of the British Empire Medal, which is essentially the lowest rank on the honours ladder, as it were. And it just reflects that Charles, I think, wants to have sort of ordinary people there but he also wants a lot of pageantry and tradition and that's where it's going to be very interesting but the other way who is in there is going to be different is that he has gone out of his way to get other faiths included i think this is incredibly important it's a christian service you can't get away from that that's sort of locked in pretty much but we are a multi-faith multi-cultural society and charles appreciates quite rightly that you've got to reflect that in the service. So he's got people of other faiths taking part in the procession. You've got people from various faiths, a Jew, a Muslim, a Hindu, and a Sikh, playing very prominent roles in that they will be handing the regalia, that's all the things, that you know, swords, orbs, and so on, to the king when he's in invested, as they say. And interestingly, you have quite prominent roles played by several women of colour. There are a lot of women in the service. First time that a, a female bishop will be taking part. But you've got people like Baroness Benjamin, uh, Fluella Benjamin, the former children's television presenter, Liberal Democrat peer. She'll be carrying the Sovereign's Scepter with Dove, as opposed to the Sovereign Scepter with cross. If I get those muddled up, that'd be awful. <laughs> it's all quite significant about who's doing stuff. It's an attempt to hmm. show how modern Britain is.
1: And in order to make sure it is as inclusive as it will be and to give a lot of these people positions and roles in the coronation, it will mean that lots of people who have assumed all their lives that they would have particular roles or... able to wear particular things to, to the coronation won't now be doing that. Tell us a bit about that, has that caused trouble?
2: There are these families who have performed these roles by hereditary right, as it were, for centuries. There's the people's champion, who up until a couple of centuries ago or so, would sort of ride in on a horse into the coronation banquet and see if anyone wanted to challenge him. And, of course, no one would challenge the champion, but he was there to be challenged should anyone want to do so. And that was with the Dimmock family. And the, the current Dimmock, Francis Dimmock, I think I think he's an accountant-turned-farmer in, in Lincolnshire. He was one of these people who submitted his application to play a role. And he will be doing... I think he'll be carrying a carrying a flag or something, carrying a standard. I can't remember, but he'll be there.
1: But not throwing down the gauntlet. Not not challenging. (laughs) But he
2: will not be throwing down the gauntlet. But there's this other thing of all these peers who thought they had a right to be in the Abbey, and they haven't got invitations. I mean, one of them was the Duke of Rutland, who was sort of huffing and puffing, saying he couldn't understand why he hadn't been invited, and was very upset, and um, said, my family has been supporting the monarchy for a thousand years, and which one really says yeah don't you get the point mate (laughs) it's the fact that you've been doing this for a thousand years maybe it's time for a change
1: how much do all of these changes reflect the character of the king how much of this is entirely charles
2: a lot of it is charles i think he wants to get things right although he's a sort of he is capable of being out of touch I think he's aware of that as an issue. He does want to sort of connect with the country. Whether the country wants to connect with him as a different matter. There's another thing about the coronation which I think which ref- reflects Charles and it's quite interesting. It's, it's the whole kind of sustainability thing. He could have had a new robe of the state made, but he's using an old one previously used by King George the Sixth. The same goes for the thrones. There are three chairs, essentially, that the king sits in, in the coronation. Traditionally, they've always been made anew. Every monarch has always had a new one. But Charles, interestingly enough, is using an old one. He is using the ones that were made for King George VI and the then Queen Elizabeth, later became the Queen Mother.
1: Determined to recycle, even on the big day.
2: He's doing a lot of recycling. You know, it may be a symbolic gesture set against the kind of extravagance of the coronation. Perhaps it won't save the planet very much. But, you know, it's there. It it reflects his character.
1: And, Valentine, another new element in, in tomorrow's ceremony will be the invitation to the public to pledge allegiance to the new king. I swear that I will pay true allegiance to your majesty and your heirs and successors according to law, so help me God. Tell us a bit more about that.
2: So in 1953, you had one representative peer from every rank of the peerage going up and paying homage to the queen. And I think to modernize, that all feels a bit feudal, so they wanted, quite rightly, to ditch that. But they've replaced it with homage to the people, which you know we, both in the abbey and sitting at home watching it on telly, are invited to pledge allegiance. They say it's invited, but the archbishop, in his words, he does call on all people of goodwill. To pledge allegiance, and it's gone down quite badly with a lot of people, even people who aren't sort of particularly sort of you know, republican or anything like that, who sort of essentially accept the monarchy, think that this idea of pledging allegiance, it's all a bit feudal, all a little bit medieval, isn't it? And I'm not sure they've got that right. In the Abbey on Saturday, I'll be looking out to see. <laughs> who around me is pledging allegiance. I suspect there'll be a few people sort of muttering quietly under their breath and sort of hoping no one notices.
1: And, Valentine, this is obviously the second televised coronation, and much like the one in 1953, there is one part of the ceremony that we won't be able to see, and that's the actual anointing. Just talk us through that. What exactly happens?
2: Four Knights of the Garter, the Dukes of Wellington and Portland, the Earl Fortescue and the Viscount Arendale, bring forward a golden canopy which they hold over Her Majesty so that the sacred moment of anointing, normally never seen, is shielded from all eyes. We didn't see that with the Queen because she had a canopy over her. They held this canopy over her head and the television cameras dutifully sort of switched off at that point anyway. The King's not going for a canopy, he's going for a screen.
1: So even if you were there, even if you were in the Abbey, you wouldn't see this part?
2: I think there are probably about sort of four people in the Abbey who'd be able to see it. You know, the sort of archbishop who's actually doing it and maybe one or two other people. Because it's meant to be a sort of private communication between sovereign and God. The anointing, which is incredibly historic, really. If kings have been anointed in this country since William the Conqueror, I think he brought over the idea of anointing kings with oil, and we've done it ever since. Uh, but it also goes back to Old Testament times, uh, Samuel the prophet anointing Saul. So the oil, which has come from the Mount of olives it was blessed in Jerusalem earlier this year—that is poured from the ampulla, which is a kind of oil container in the shape of a golden eagle, into the coronation spoon, this funny kind of ridged silver-gilt spoon with a ridge in the middle with two parts. So the oil gets poured into that and then the, the Archbishop of Canterbury anoints the king with this oil on the, the head, the hands and the chest. And the, the, at this point, the king will be wearing a very sort of simple white shirt. Not that we'll see it because he'll be behind, behind that screen.
1: Wow. And how long does that last? Does there have to be a very swift costume change before he re-emerges?
2: I tried to count the costume changes the other day, and I, I reckon there are there are four costume changes during the service. <laughs> I mean, the there's a lot of oh. there's a lot of dressing up that goes on. So he arrives in the let me get this right. He arrives in the robe of state, which is also known as the parliamentary robe. That's something you see at state opening of parliament, and that is crimson velvet. For the anointing, he takes off the robe and he wears this simple white shirt. And then for the crowning and the investing, he is wearing another simple white thing called the clobium syndenis, which is a simple sort of white priestly-like a garment. And then over that, he has the super tunica, which is this incredibly extravagant cloth of gold garment and then over that there's the imperial mantle which goes back to 1821 and George IV. So that's what you'll see him wearing during the enthronement and so on. And then for the final procession out of the abbey he wears another robe. This time it's purple and that's called the robe of estate. And of course there's another change he changes crowns. You will see two crowns. So he's crowned with St. Edward's crown, which is fantastically heavy and old. But for leaving the abbey, he will be wearing the imperial state crown, which is a little less heavy and is the crown you see at state opening parliament. And you can always tell the two apart. The easiest way to tell the two apart is because the imperial state crown has got the Black Prince's ruby in the front.
1: Val, I've got to ask, you're going to be there in the Abbey during the coronation. What are you wearing?
2: I haven't decided yet. I'll be putting out a press release later, Manveen, with full details (laughs) of my costume.
1: Coming up, it's not just the coronation that the king wants to modernise. What can we expect to see from the royal family? That's in just a moment. We can't possibly talk about the coronation without talking about the difficulty, I suppose, with seating plans. Do we know how it's going to work out with Prince Harry, for example, which has been a question everyone's been very keen to know the answer to? What will his role be in in the coronation and where will he be sitting?
2: his role will be to sit there and behave himself. And if you remember at the service of Thanksgiving at St. Paul's Cathedral during the Platinum Jubilee, they went to great lengths to try and seat Harry not very close to the Prince and Princess of Wales. And so he and Meghan were sort of on the other side of an aisle and a couple of rows back. And I don't think that went down terribly well with Harry. It did, the organizers were able to avoid any sort of eye contact between Harry and William or Meghan and Kate or whatever. But I think he felt a bit shunted back, so they may try and move him a bit nearer the front, but, you know, seated a diplomatic distance away It's very hard to say exactly how it's going to plan out. They're not saying, let's hope for his sake, he's not actually behind a pillar, as I suspect I will be.
1: And Val, even with this sort of massively scaled back, a a simpler coronation than we've seen before, do we know how much it's set to cost?
2: No, all sorts of figures have been banded around. And uh, as is the way of the media, people just... Tend to repeat the largest figure they heard. The largest figure we've heard is 100 million. I've simply no idea if that's true or not. What I can tell you is what 1953 cost, which is a kind of is a measure. So, in today's prices, the Queen's coronation cost about 50 million. That sort of figure. So. If today's cost a hundred million, that would be quite a surprise, I think, because this is a much smaller coronation. Part of the the cost of fifty three was getting all these troops over from abroad. There were many, many more troops from the empire, as it was probably described then, and also the stands, the stands for people to watch the procession go past. I think that was a bigger business last time, because the coronation route, the route of the procession from Westminster Abbey back to Buckingham Palace, it was a five-mile route, and you just won't have the same number of stands this time. On the other hand, security, that's a big bill now. I think security is more of an issue now than it was 70 years ago. So, hard to tell what it's going to cost this time. That figure of 100 billion, I just think one might take it with a slight degree of caution.
1: Mm. In terms of the royal family going forward, you know, we've heard a lot from Prince Charles about having a slimmed-down version of it. I assume they'll all be out in force on the day of the coronation itself. I mean, will Prince Andrew be there?
2: Prince Andrew will be in Westminster Abbey. That may be the last time we see him. I don't think he's taking part in any processions. I think it's one thing we'll want to look at is who appears on the balcony of Buckingham Palace for the flypast, that will be a key indicator of of the king's thinking. It's quite interesting, this idea of the slim down monarchy. This is something that Charles has has long believed in. He thinks we can't have too many sort of royal hangers on. It doesn't go down well with the public. It's an unnecessary cost. But a lot of the slimming down has just happened naturally. So Andrew stepped down because of all his scandals. Harry and Meghan have gone off to California. The Queen's dead, Philip's dead, and a lot of these others are getting on. It's naturally become a pretty core team, which is basically the King Queen, Prince and Princess of Wales, well, Princess Royal, the Edinburgh's, Edward and Sophie, and that's fairly
1: much it. What's interesting in the last few days though, we've had comments from Princess Anne in an interview with a Canadian broadcaster saying actually she didn't believe in a slimmed-down version. Oh, I think the slim down was was said in a day when there were a few more people around to make that seem like a justifiable <laughs> a comment. No, it will. It doesn't sound like a good idea from where I'm standing. <laughs> I have to say, I'm not quite sure what else you know we can do.
2: She's just reiterating a point that I was making. I think you know it has become slim down, and perhaps it would make things difficult if we were to slim down any further. Because of course if you talk about slimming down and talk about sort of having fewer working members of the royal family, it does mean you have fewer engagements covered and you just have to make a value judgment, don't you, about to what extent you want this hospital visited, this charity function, having a royal presence, and to what extent you want to Save on the bottom line, because you know these are members of the royal family, they do do a lot. Whether we think it's worthwhile or not is another question, but Princess Anne, Princess Royal, she carries out loads of engagements every year, as many as the king. And I think all those organizations and charities that she's involved with, for instance, would feel hard done by if they didn't have that royal input anymore.
1: And Valentine, this does look like it's going to be a very different coronation, a much more modern coronation. Can we expect the king to be a very different monarch? I mean, will much actually change in terms of, you know, the day-to-day role of, of the monarch and the royal family?
2: I don't think an awful lot will change, mainly because, as Charles's sister said in her interview, we know what Charles is like. We know him. We've seen him operate for all these decades. So there will be subtle changes. I don't think there'll be anything radical. I've always said that I think the more radical changes will come with William when he's on the throne. I think he's, in a quiet, modest way, he's slightly the more revolutionary figure. Really? We saw that in a way when he did that tour of the Caribbean recently they had a few sort of PR missteps with you know him and Cajun White on the back of a Land Rover in Jamaica and shaking hands through chain link fences and all the rest of it after that he said two things basically he said I won't necessarily be head of the Commonwealth in the future and I'm here to listen it reflects the kind of the sort of quietly thoughtful nature of William that maybe the bigger changes will happen with him.
1: You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. With me, Manveen Rana, and my guest, Times writer and royal expert, Valentine Lowe. You can listen to full live coverage of the King's coronation from 11am on Times Radio, which will be broadcast from a special coronation studio overlooking Westminster Abbey. Do join Times Radio presenters, including Jane Garvey and Fee Glover, who will bring you all the build-up to the service and the reaction afterwards. The producer today was Edward Drummond. The executive producer is Kate Ford. And sound design was by David Crackles. If you can, please do leave us a review. It'll help others to find us. Thanks for listening. Have a lovely coronation weekend.